Well, do we have an amazing couple of episodes for you here or what? I am so, so honored to introduce you to my physician, Dr. Molly Harmon. I live in Indiana in the United States, and Dr. Molly Harmon came into our lives about a year ago. You'll hear me talk about this in the episodes, but no exaggeration, she saved my daughter's life. And she has changed my life forever. She's an angel on earth. She is so kind. She is so committed, so real and so honest, and so brilliant and talented. And I'm so happy to have her on BU. You might wonder, what what does this have to do with a podcast about discovering who you are and being yourself? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I believe, well, I'm all about sharing truth as well. But as we excavate the real us and we sift through the layers and the layers and the layers of what we thought was us, at some point, we only resonate with truth. And we only want the best for ourselves and for humanity, for our highest good and the highest good. And so we start attracting people into our lives that match that vibration and that philosophy and that intention. And so Dr. Miley Harmon came into our lives at a time when we were at such a scary crisis, a medical crisis with my daughter. At the same time, I know that she came into my life at that point because I attracted her because of the work that we talk about day in and day out on BU and the BU Collective. So you are going to learn so much. This is not the same old, same old. This isn't even like, oh, it's a medical doctor with a twist or it's a holistic, integrative medical doctor. No, she's going to give you information in this episode and in the next one that will blow your mind, that will challenge your paradigm. She will say things to you that you maybe have never heard before or you need to hear again. So I recommend listening again and again and taking notes and really implementing what she teaches. So Dr. Molly Harmon attended medical school at the National University of Health Sciences in Lombard, Illinois, where she was trained in primary care and graduated with her doctorate in naturopathic medicine. She is extensively trained in botanical medicine, homeopathy, human and nutritional biochemistry, oriental medicine, spinal manipulation, and pharmacology. Dr. Harmon continues to expand her knowledge by attending medical seminars on personal nutrition and clinical homeopathy. Dr. Molly says, I want to restore function, not replace it. The word dossier in naturopathic medicine translates to doctor as teacher. And I want to empower my patients to take back their health by giving them the tools to do so. So in this episode today, and in the episode on Thursday that follows, you will learn so much from this brilliant doctor and you'll want to share it with others and spread the love and knowledge with others. And I'm telling you, it's going to be so worth your time. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting. She's waiting. She's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. Ten years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. All right, so this episode and the next episode are going to be doozies. Our podcast has not yet gone here, and this is a direction we are going. And I've asked some of you your thoughts, and many of you are really excited that we're going to dig into the truth of wellness and unbecoming and unlearning 
what we've been programmed to believe. And anything I'm sharing and our guest today is sharing isn't, as with everything on every episode, isn't something that we're telling you you should believe. And you should never believe what other people believe unless it resonates with you. But we're going to share what you're not going to hear mainstream. You're not going to find from your average doctor. And this is information that, in my belief, as you are finding your true self, your true self, which is your highest self, which is the self that God recognizes, wants you to find truth. So you'll start attracting truth. And this is truth to us, to the guests and to myself and to a lot of people. You get to try it on and see how you feel. But being the audience and be you, I have a very strong feeling that this is going to resonate with you. And I'm so grateful for Dr. Harmon. So Dr. Harmon, thank you so much for agreeing to be on for two episodes. And I have a feeling if you're willing to, everyone will want you to come back. What I love about Dr. Harmon, you know, as I said in the intro, she's our family doctor. But what I love about her is that she's a truth seeker, but does it with zero ego. I mean, we all have an ego, but she doesn't operate in ego. She doesn't say everything else is bad and wrong. And what I say is better and in the high road and you should come with me. She doesn't. She just leads and sees who follows. And that's one thing I love about her. And she truly loves her patients. Now, many of you are going to want to come to her and you live in other countries and it's not possible. If you live anywhere in the Midwest, she's worth the drive, but she's going to help you in episode. Actually, in this first episode, we'll also talk about how you can find someone similar to Dr. Harmon for you and for your family. So welcome Dr. Harmon to BU Podcast. So good to be here, Jill. Thanks for inviting me. I'm just excited to talk to all of you and hopefully educate you. Hopefully we get some good information and and give you guys some tools that you can use. So let's start with, you know, I'm a traditionally trained registered nurse, as you know, my brother's a physician, sister-in-law's a PA, my deceased mother-in-law was a nurse and her husband was a dentist. And my other sister-in-law's siblings are all physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, and surgeons. One is a surgeon. Well, which is an MD. And so I grew up in this soup of allopathic medicine and this is how we think and this is the only way and anything outside of this is weird, is kooky and it's wrong. And I was programmed to believe that before I ever became a nurse. And I really thought chiropractors were backcrackers. That's what I called them. I was extremely judgmental. I was a different person back then. And naturopathic medicine scared me because I thought I knew what it was. And a lot of people listening think they know what it is because their neighbor Larry told them or their cousin's friend told them. But I would love to start with what is the difference between allopathic or what we would call traditional medicine and naturopathic medicine? If you want to go on tangent too about the whole idea of alternative medicine, why it's called that, feel free to give them any history before we even go further. Yeah, absolutely. So... First of all, education-wise, naturopathic medicine and and traditional medical doctors or osteopathic doctors are training, especially within our first two years and and the medical school courses and the number of credits that we take and the clinical experience that we have is really similar. The differences in treatment and how we learn to treat and the tools that we have. So I would say that that's one of the, the biggest differences. So In school, you know, when I'm learning and taking on cases, I do the same diagnostic evaluation, physical exam to be able to know, you know, what's going on with this patient. Same, same as every doctor, you got to have those tools. But then when we get to our treatment plan, I'm thinking about restoration. So I'm thinking about how do we get the body to do its job? I'm not thinking about suppression unless it's an emergency scenario. And that's probably, Jill, the biggest difference is looking to restore function, not replace it. Does that make sense? Kind of. I mean, I would say kind of. So in traditional medicine, you're saying that they're not going to restoration. They go to... Suppression. Suppression. What do you mean by that? So if I have a patient who has an autoimmune disorder... And because of that autoimmune disorder, they break out into skin rashes, they go into asthma attacks, they have immense fatigue, right? We're going uh, traditional, you know, our options for pharmaceutical medication are suppression, suppress the rash, give you a cream, give you an immunosuppressant so that your autoimmune disease isn't overcoming you. In naturopathic medicine, I'm going to go, okay, well, what constitutes a cell? Our cells are made out of everything we 
you know, eat, breathe, drink, and think. They have no other choice. Let's evaluate this patient from head to toe. Let's evaluate what they're putting into their body, what kind of environment they're in, what kind of stress they have. Do they have stress management skills? And peel back the later layers, strip everything back to the studs and rebuild that foundation. Because in naturopathic medicine, when we face things like an autoimmune disorder, very common now, unfortunately, very common now, you're going to look at decreasing the intensity and the frequency of those symptoms. You're not looking to shut down their immune system. So in, in the medical world, the conventional medical world, they think the immune system has a problem and it's attacking itself. We are going to suppress the immune system. So there's not there's no symptoms of that. In the naturopathic realm, we look, something's not doing its job. What are the organs and systems involved in this disease process? And how can we support them to better do their job so that this patient isn't suffering? So I've experienced, I mean, as a patient and as, you know, my kids are all patients. So one of them, as you know, is doing very well now with, but was really not doing well with a severe autoimmune condition. I've seen this in action, I guarantee you people listening are like, wait, hold on. That is a big effing difference. Like, whoa, (laughs) can we just stop there? Like, why? Okay. So one line of thinking is let's suppress. And the other one is, well, hold on. You have the tools. Your body knows what to do. Let's just figure out how to get your body to take care of itself with some help. I mean, that's such a huge distinction. And so before we go on, I mean, I could have you on for eight hours. This is all so interesting to me. And I'm excited that we're doing this now and not months ago when we talked about it, because I've physically seen in myself and in my children what happens when you approach the body the way you do. Okay, so let's just go back though. Why in traditional medicine do they believe that? Where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of funny you brought that up. Just historically, So naturopathic medicine has probably been in the U.S. a little over 125 years. Now, keep in mind that that's a funny age to think about naturopathic medicine because the modalities that we use are thousands of years old, thousands of years old. So I think it was, gosh, it would have been like 1902 that the first actual graduating class of naturopathic physicians were in America. But before that, you know, in the late 1800s, that's when homeopathy came to America. That's when chiropractic came to America. That's when osteopathic physicians, you know, were were having their own school. So it was a very transitional time in medicine. So you have these set of physicians who are thinking differently. And um, a lot of the, the first naturopathic doctors had these other modalities where physicians in other areas before going into naturopathic medicine. So by the 1920s, naturopathic medical conventions had over 10,000 different physicians coming to those conventions. But then by the 1940s and 50s, pharmaceutical medicine came around, technological medicine came around. And and we really truly thought that pharmaceutical medicine was a cure-all. At that time, they thought it was eliminating disease. But the only thing that we know now is that it wasn't eliminating disease, is that it was suppressing symptoms. And it was doing a really good job of doing that. Yeah, and in their defense, as you said, when you suppress symptoms, you feel like you're better. You look like you're better. But meanwhile, you're not just not making it better, you're making it worse because under the covers, a lot of stuff's going down. So would you be willing to, I know this isn't the tangent we really want to go down, but I just, I really feel like guided to ask you this. So mm-hmm. in traditional medical school, would you be willing to just share with with our listeners? Now, our listeners in other countries are laughing right now. You know what, ladies, you go ahead and laugh at us because we are ridiculous in the United States. We have thousands of listeners in India. Think of the wisdom in India for thousands of years and with health and wellness, et cetera. So We've listeners in 64, I think, countries. We're a little slow here in the U.S., even though we think we're not. But in the United States medical school, let's say, when you go to traditional medical school in the United States, will you share with everybody the impact that the pharmaceutical industry has on what the students are learning who now you call doctor and you go and say, am I allowed to do this? Can I do that? I think they're actually doctors in the United States who don't even realize 
that what they learned in medical school, much of it was, I'm just going to say it, bought and paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. So, so would you share a little bit about that? Yeah, unfortunately, that's really true. And when you're in medical school, you know, everything's so intense and you believe it wholeheartedly. And you also sign up to be a doctor to help people. So if you are being fed that this is going to change your patient's life and somebody with a big bill is paying for you to believe that, I mean, we can go down into selling all sorts of thoughts, right? That happened a lot this year, but it definitely happens. And it's so hard to come out of school, to start seeing patients, to utilize those pharmaceutical medications or those modalities that you taught were going to be the best fit for your patient and see that it may not be. And one of two things can happen. And I've seen it happen both ways. You know, a good physician is going to ask why, do some research, um, look into other modalities, look into other options for the patient and, and be willing to learn something new. Rare. Rare. Yeah. Sorry, I'm objecting. Rare. <laughs> Hardly ever happens. Dr. Harmon is so kind. She's she's given him a shot here. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, or the second thing that can happen is that they're going to blame it on the patient. The reason this medication isn't working is because of you or you're making up. You don't have this. If this isn't working, then this is, symptom is in your head. And can I offer a third as mm-hmm. a, someone who worked as a nurse? Just adding more medications and shuffling the patient off to another doctor and saying, you know what? I think you should go talk to Dr. John. And truly what's behind it is what you just said. But what they do is they shove you off to another doctor with a whole new set of prescription medication and then you're off their hands. And then at the end of the day, they have no blame and they may not blame you. Right. But they're saying, you know what? This is a little bit more than I thought. I think you should talk to this other doctor and it ends up getting worse. And then you come to the hospital and I'm the nurse. And there are four different doctors, a bunch of prescriptions. No one knows what's going. No one knows who's on first, who's on second. The doctors aren't talking to each other. And then then you hope that the angel comes in that you just described that says, hold on a second. I'm going to play detective and figure this out. But usually it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Or they end up in a naturopathic doctor's office and <laughs> and we put the pieces together. And I mean, Jill, it's so sad. My average new patient has seen between six and eight different physicians. It's very common for them to be seeing multiple different specialists. And that's probably, I understand why people specialize in medicine. It's hard to do a head to toe every single day on every single patient and take in all those moving pieces. And, And it's exhausting at times, but it becomes easier because you actually figure out what's going on. And that's what we have to do. I mean, in my school, when I went to naturopathic medical school, I'm trained to take at least 90 minutes on my first office call, first appointment. And conventional medical school, they are literally timed 15 minute intervals, patient to patient. Yep. When they're doing those sim- simulator patients, 15 minutes. And, and, and someone who used to work in a doctor's office, you book the, the patients every 15 minutes. That's what you do. So some of the, what you're saying, I know this isn't like super high level, but if people who are not in this right. pool, they don't even, I just want to go back to what you said. You said, I understand why doctors specialize. And what she's saying is you've got a dermatologist, you've got a rheumatologist that she understands why people are doing that. That's their passion. They want to really help rheumatology patients. They really want to help people with dermatological issues. What Dr. Harmon is saying is, It's really difficult to be that primary care physician where you are looking for everything. And that's why a lot of doctors specialize. And I think also it's because they have a passion. You know, like my brother's a physician and he's such a great physician and he loves, loves, loves helping people with pain and back issues. So that's why he's doing that. But what Dr. Harmon is saying is, because I'm a patient of hers, the first appointment, I I was like, "Uh, don't we have to go? She's like, no, keep going. I was like, wait, are you sure? Like, how much is this going to be? I thought my bill was going to be like $1,000. So we were there an hour and a half. We probably went to two hours at least. And she's explaining that she was trained that way. And I want to emphasize that. Yes, she's a really super kind and generous person, if you knew her. But she was also trained by naturopathic medicine to take that much time. So why do they teach you? Because I know you told me this once. Why do they teach you to take that much time? Because even a full head to toe, if I'm a primary care physician trained traditionally, And I'm like, okay, 15 minutes is ridiculous. I could do it pretty well in probably 40 minutes. But you take 90 minutes, and why is that? 
For two big reasons. One, I would say the biggest reason is to give the patient a chance to tell their story. And honestly, if you give a person enough time, they're going to tell you exactly what's going on. And the second part is to be able to organize all those pieces that I gathered in our appointment and come up with a treatment plan and to educate the patient before they leave. A lot of times I'm drawing on a whiteboard during my my appointments or a back of a a sheet of paper, drawing out diagrams for them to follow or or explaining a, a simple physiological pathway for them to understand their body a little bit better. And so the The two big reasons that I would say, Jill, that we were taught that is to, one, give the patient a chance to talk. And that's really emotional for people. So many people break down in in my office just for the fact that I listened to them and they didn't feel rushed. Yeah. And, And that's really emotional. A lot of people are nervous to go to the doctor. They do feel rushed. They don't have a lot of time. They come in with a list. They don't get through it, you know, or it doesn't get recognized. And then the second aspect is education because education is empowering your patient. You're, you're teaching them about their health and you're giving them tools to take care of themselves. And you're holding in their hand and you're walking through with them and, and making sure that they're able to do it. But when a doctor just you know gives you a script and sends you out the door, there's nothing really empowering about that. When I give you tools, step one, step two, do this the first two weeks, come back four weeks from there. We'll see where you're at. We'll see how well you've done, what you need to work on, what you're struggling with. And we're going to talk about it and we're going to keep building and building and building. Mm -hmm. Gosh, so much I could say about that. First of all, as someone who's experienced this, I did cry in that first appointment when I brought my daughter in. And some of it was, you all know, as you're listening, you know what it feels like. Your body can feel energy before your body physically shows up into the conversation. I felt the safe container she was holding. I knew in my body, oh my gosh, we've landed. Like, we're going to get an answer. Even if we don't get it today, this is the safe place to be. And yes, I will say that has a lot to do with Dr. Harmon's style. But what she's saying too is that's the naturopathic way. That's not just Dr. Harmon. Of course, she has special attributes about her that I think make her angel on earth, unique, everyone should go to her. However, she can't duplicate herself. I want you all to hear that that's the way that naturopathic medicine operates. They teach them to listen this way. They teach them to let you unload. And that unloading, it gives her the clues she needs as a doctor. It's similar to me learning now to be a coach. You know, instead of me telling people what the issue is, even when I think I know, I'm being trained to ask really good questions and just let them talk and let them figure it out. And they will tell me what the issue is and where we need to go next. It's very similar. Mm -hmm. So I've experienced what that feels like. Why am I sharing that? Because I want the listeners to hear from me because they don't know you yet. They listen to me every week. The feeling that you get when you go to a doctor and you know you're held safely is like something I can't even explain because you're okay with not getting the answer that day because you know you're going to get it eventually and you can stop running. You can stop stressing because she's got you or he's got you. And the education piece is interesting because it's not just nutrition and the things that you never hear from traditional doctors. Traditional doctors, by and large, don't even take the time to educate you about your body. Like Dr. Harmon drew on the whiteboard. I mean, I was a nurse forever, but I swear half my brain's gone. I don't, I don't remember a lot that I used to, I used to do a lot of interesting things and I'm like, okay, what does that mean again? She drew on a whiteboard, you know, exactly. This is how your body works. This is what happens when your thyroid does this. And I was like, oh, and so she's educating you about your body, not just about this is why you need to eat green leafy vegetables, et cetera. So traditional medicine in my experience is they don't have the time in their defense, in their defense, they don't have the time. The system doesn't allow them the time to educate you even about your body. But the second piece is the education you offer your patients. I'm going to submit that traditional doctors, they don't even know it. They don't know how to tell you how to eat. They, they're telling you to take... Flintstone vitamins and prenatal vitamins and drink Ensure. I mean, we could go off on a major tangent. I think most people are pretty aware these days, but 10 years ago when I was starting to do like nutrition education, just because I was a passionate, angry mom, no one knew that stuff. But I think 
most people know that, okay, insure probably isn't good. But then I just had my, my mom in the hospital and they brought her her insure. And I was like, are you still doing this? Like you, have you looked at the can? Like here's some Elmer's glue, drink it. <laughs> so, uh, go, what do you say about that? No, I, I was just going to add to that, Joe, because when I was in school, I interned and hopped around several different offices, some with naturopathic doctors, some with uh, medical doctors that worked in integrative offices. And I'll never forget that as an ND, especially in the in the Midwest, when nobody knows what you are, especially as a new grad or not yet grad, it can be intimidating to be around these these other doctors. And so I was in this integrative office and and I had all three physicians tell me at different times in different ways, I wish I had your education. We weren't taught what you were taught about Mm -hmm. nutrition. We weren't taught the way to problem solve that you're taught the way to problem solve. And one of the things that they talked to me about directly was, is I talk a lot about utilizing that basic human biochemistry and human physiology, right? Drawing out those pathways and understanding what's happening and how it's working and what it's talking to. And I had a a doctor who said, oh yeah, she's like in school, like we were literally taught to study for the test and forget it, never use it again. Mm. And those are your first two years, like all those basic things. And and you use them in a baseline sense to understand maybe some metabolism of things, but not how things are actually working. And and again, suppression. What, yeah, I was going to say, that's why they go to suppression because they're not focusing on the underneath of what what's working. Mm-hmm. So interesting. They look at it as, you know, something's broken. It's a, let's take a, a common drug like a statin. Works on the enzyme HMGA-CoA reductase and it, you know, stops the production of cholesterol. Well, we could also increase fiber. We could also give niacin. We could also give ready strice, which works on this same exact enzyme uh, as a statin does same exact mechanism of action but it's from a plant and it doesn't you know drown hdl ldl like a statin does but and no dangerous life-threatening side effects oh yeah i mean which statins totally have cholesterol is important let's first let's take a tangent and say cholesterol is important for your brain health right for your nervous system uh, it has a lot of different jobs. It doesn't just clog the arteries. That's not what's happening. A- oxidation is the issue, not cholesterol. <laughs> oxidation is the issue. And it's just when we have too much of the wrong kind with oxidation happening, that creates all those heart problems. But that's too scary. So we're just going to, cholesterol is what is sitting in the heart and what can cause the problem. So we're just going to stop the production. We're not going to worry about oxidation of a cell, placking, all that fun stuff. Which works well for big pharma because then we just get to sell a ton of statins to millions and millions of people and call it a day. And if they die, they die. I mean, that's like that. Remember that news anchor, Tim Russert, I think years ago, I used to use that example. He was on a statin drug and all of his blood work was, quote, perfectly normal. He dropped dead of a heart attack. How did that happen? It's what you're saying. He was on a statin. They weren't looking at the real problem, like like the lipid peroxides and that it was just, let's put a Band-Aid on it. And, and this is what's happening with so many people. But okay, gosh, I, we need to have a whole separate show with Dr. I know. Harmon, I swear. We could have a whole cholesterol fat talk. We I mean. could. We sh- actually should do that. So we have we have mostly female listeners, but I'm excited to tell you, we found out recently we have a lot of male listeners, but 90% female listeners. And I assumed it was women about my age, you know, late 40s, 50s. And I met a professional athlete a few weeks ago who's 18 or 19, and she and her friends all listen to this, so which is really cool. So we've got a, a wide age range, but mostly women, as I said, several different cultures. And just for a second, could you just talk about the whole autoimmune conversation. We weren't even going to go here today, but because you brought it up, so many women are suffering and their children are suffering and they're getting the wrong information. And as you said, they go to several doctors and they finally end up with you, which is what happened with us. The reason we found you is because I was in the emergency room with my now 22-year-old daughter. She had had what I now know were autoimmune flares. We didn't know what was going on with her. Very, very, very serious in the ER for the third time in, I think, five weeks. And the emergency room nurse said, I will lose my job if you tell anyone my name, but you need to go find this doctor. She is going to save your daughter. 
and she pulled up her phone and showed me Dr. Harmon. And I'm like, what is a naturopath? And now I'm super open-minded and holistic. And I have a whole awakening I can tell people about separately, going from traditional thinking to not with medicine. However, I, as you know, thought naturopathic medicine doctors were the doctors that were just like whipping up potions. I was like, I'll try her, but uh, okay. (laughs) But we found you because of that. And so I have friends that have symptoms of autoimmune disease and don't know that's what it is, or they're being treated by rheumatologists, suppressing their immune system, killing the liver, risking other things in five minutes or less. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us what you could tell us in 12 hours. What you feel, what God is telling you, these women deserve to know right now about their options with autoimmune or maybe what it really is. Yeah, autoimmune disease, honestly, because I see it so much. Everything in naturopathic medicine, this is another different different way of thinking, right? That's going to be the theme of this whole thing. Why, why go see a naturopathic doctor? Because we think differently. So oftentimes when a patient comes to me with an ailment, but especially with autoimmune disease, it's multifactorial, meaning it's not one thing contributing to them being in the state or developing an autoimmune disease. It's multiple. And if I, if I had to pick three big themes that are almost always involved in developing an autoimmune disease and having predisposition to developing autoimmunity, first one would be environmental. Uh, second one would be diet. And third one would be stress. And it's probably the perfect cocktail for developing an autoimmune disease. So environmental-wise, I have a lot of patients that develop histamine complex issues that grow up on farms next to sprayed fields. And it's generational. I'll have sets of mom and daughter come in and they'll be talking to me. They'll talk to me about their symptoms. And finally, I go, where do you guys live? Mm. Do you guys own a couple acres? What's around you? Or do you live in a subdivision? And it really sucks being right sometimes, you know, but it can be other environmental things. It can be working with certain chemicals, cleaning with certain chemicals. It's surprising how many people like receipts. Uh, Let's think about people who do taxes every year and they're handling tons and tons and tons of receipts. Well, those are just full of endocrine disruptors, right? I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Receipts are are not BPA free. (laughs) Just so you know. Oh my gosh. Okay. So my (laughs) whole face, we're on Zoom right now. And I was like, what the what? (laughs) Would have never thought of that. Have never heard of that. Holy shit. So they should be wearing gloves. Right. Yeah. I mean, (sighs) they're full of BPA. (laughs) So why? I don't know. You know, welcome to America. So environmental factors for sure. There's almost always some odd environmental thing that I'm looking for, whether it be I grew up in a house that had black mold. I live on a farm where the fields are sprayed. I work and handle a lot of receipts. That one's kind of, you know, more odd. The second thing would be diet. And there's a lot of people that come to me who believe that they are eating healthy And I would say that a lot of times they're really close, but they're not necessarily eating the way they need for their body. And that's individual too. There's some basic balance guidelines, but I can get, you know, three different or 10 different patients that have autoimmune disease and adjust their diets differently. They could all get a different diet, right? They could even all have lupus and they'd still all get a different diet based on the things that they're telling me. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting because many people who listen are wellness focused and we tend to think, all right, everybody needs to be. Is there any one thing like, do you think everybody should be gluten free in America, at least? <laughs> and probably in America. Yeah. As So tangent, right? Let's go on a gluten tangent real quick. So just so you know, like original wheat, I think has like 12 chromosomes. American wheat has 42. Mm. I knew that American wheat was bad, but I didn't know that. Yeah. And even because it's so heavily sprayed and genetically modified, even buying organic wheat, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good in your body. So there's also a, an enzyme. When we eat wheat, I think it's Lipox and J's, or L, we call it LP. Um, there's an LP enzyme that only releases two different times after digestion in your body. Two, when you're introduced to two things... And it's either an E. coli infection or when you eat wheat. Mm. It's the only two times that it's released in your digestive system. And so I could go on a tangent all about that. But 
if you have an autoimmune disease, you absolutely cannot eat wheat. So we could leave it there. Other people can tolerate a little bit better, but is it really doing anything good? No. And quote unquote tolerate it means, right? Who knows what's going on at the cellular level behind the scenes? I'm fine. I'm fine. Nothing behind curtain number three. And then, oh shit, I'm sick. Dr. Harmon, fix me. I've been eating gluten for 10 years, but I've been fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So th- those three big things. And then the last one is stress. So when I have a patient who who I've been controlling their autoimmune disease for a while and we've gotten their flares next to nothing, you know, where they used to be in a flare every month or every week or just hanging out in a flare all the time. And anytime I have a patient who in months hasn't had a flare and they come into my office with a flare, I ask about stress. Yeah. And every single time there'll be some crazy life event that's happening. And it's not fun to acknowledge from the patient perspective because they don't like to have to deal with that my stress is contributing to my health. And sometimes we can't really change the stressor. Unpredictable things happen. And when we don't process those things appropriately, if we don't feel like we're in a safe place to process them emotionally, and we don't express and process appropriately, then it'll go somewhere. And it shows up in our body. Baseline physics, every action has an opposite but equal reaction. Same thing goes in our body. So if you are suppressing emotion, whether it's anxiety, depression, sadness, anger, whatever that may be, and you keep just shoving it down, it'll show up somewhere. All right. So let's let's park it right there for a minute. So <laughs> just to review, it was environment, nutrition, and stress. Correct. Okay. And some of the things we didn't even mention with environment are things that we don't even know are affecting us like jet fuel and like, I mean, what's in our air, what's in our water. And then, and because of what's in the air, then the rain is contaminated, which, I mean, there's just so much, you know, people are eating, you know, certain kind of meat because it's grass fed, but they don't realize that it's eating grass that (laughs) it's just contaminated. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. So going to the stress piece, of course, that's where most of the focus of our podcast, it's finding the real us, but then we also talk a lot about, okay, but it's also digging through trauma, digging through head trash, digging through programming and our own paradigm that we created when we were children, blah, blah, blah. And I want to just echo what Dr. Harmon just said, that, I mean, you're on here every week with me twice a week, so you know that we talk about this, but we haven't really gone into the connection with disease. I've mentioned several times that illness and disease is dis-ease in the body and our body's talking to you and your organs are weeping. And many times we don't connect them. I don't have stress. Everything's fine. I'm in a great marriage. My spirituality is on point. My nutrition's good. I have plenty of money. I contribute to the world. But oh, by the way, I haven't gotten over these things that happened when I was a kid. Or, oh, by the way, I don't even remember what happened when I was a kid, but my body remembers. I mean, we could go off a whole different tangent mm-hmm. just on that. You're like, my brain, I've evolved and I have a new zip code. I have a new life, but my body remembers that when I was three, five, or seven, this happened, or two, or six months. But then there's the other piece that so many women listening, because so many women in the world who are who are the way I just described, I mean, they're fortunate, right? They've either... They're fortunate and quote unquote lucky, or they've created that luck and they're in a situation where they really do have all the pieces I just mentioned. However, the thing they're suppressing that Dr. Harmon's saying could cause disease is they're abandoning themselves, right? They're lying to themselves. They're in a career they don't really want to be in. They're trying to be perfect because subconsciously, if I'm perfect, then this won't happen, right? They're covering up these deep-seated fears. And I truly believe in the work I've been doing in the past six months and learning that that's one of the biggest pieces of illness. It's not just the hustle and the grind and the typical stress we all deal with, which is, you know, a big weight on our back. But then we've got 10 other boulders on our shoulders and on our head and in our arms that we don't even know we're carrying Mm -hmm. from subconscious things. And then we've got a giant boulder strapped to our, I don't know, throat because we're not living the life we want to live. We're pretending. We're, we're in a relationship where it's not healthy, but we feel like we're a bad person and we're going to go to hell if we get a divorce. So I'm just going to go ahead and live in this marriage with an addict and someone who's unfaithful because I'm supposed to be a good girl. So I'm a patient of Dr. Harmon's, as I said, and 
one thing I know that she's really good at. And do you think this is, and don't be modest here. I mean, do you think this is just a gift you have? Or do you think that it's a gift and you're taught this way? That one thing I've noticed is that you observe silently and you know the stress, let's say my daughter's under, but you don't really have to say it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense when I'm asking? Like you're observing it and you see more than we think you see. And then you're putting it into the treatment plan somehow without really making us talk about it. A hundred percent. Observation is the biggest tool as a physician, I think. Another way that your patient's going to signal what's going on. And you'll get patients where sometimes if I feel like it's necessary in an appointment, I'll ask about their childhood. Other times I'll know something happened without them telling me and know that they're not ready to talk about it or not ready to... It's hard. Again, it's hard to be like this ugly thing that happened to me years and years ago that I've overcome. I've overcome. That's not happening to me anymore. I don't live that life. I live a new life that it's still some way impacting me. How frustrating, how angering is that? Something that was already out of your control, that was traumatic, that happened to you is still affecting you. And so, yes, I observation is a tool. I do think that a skill that I personally have is knowing the time to talk about it. I think you'd probably agree with me. You're very good with that because you know me. I'm like, uh, can you say something? Can you say something? You're like, nope. <laughs> They're not ready yet. And, and there'll be a day where they will be ready. And And on that day, I rarely have to bring it up, right? They're going to tell me and I'll go, I know. I know. And it's hard. And guess what? That really sucked. And that shouldn't have happened. It's just one of those other things. Empathy, right? Do you think Do you think that conventional medical doctors and DOs are taught empathy? No, they don't have time for <laughs> <And> empathy. <laughs> we spend a whole class on just empathy, several classes on empathy. Yes, in, in naturopathic medicine. Oh. oh, it's like drilled into our head, the difference between sympathy and empathy. Oh my gosh, because sympathy, we talked about this on one of our episodes, sympathy doesn't help anybody. Right. But empathy mm-hmm. does. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. Everybody go find a naturopath. That's right. You do it. So so where does the stigma come from? Because we get that there's Mm. a difference between traditional. I mean, we could talk for hours about the forces that be. But where does the stigma come from? Why do people not just say, oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of that. Why do so many people go, oh, no, I go to a real doctor. We're in the United States, by the way. But where does that come from? And why is that still happening, even though we're getting better? Mm-hmm. I think part of it is just knowledge and lack thereof, I guess I should say, right? And the term naturopathic, right, is very, there's nature in the word. Curing naturopathy means disease. So curing disease with nature is literally the breakup of, of naturopathic medicine or naturopathy. And they're thinking of of literal witch doctors. <laughs> and we do, I mean, I do, I make tinctures in the office, but Every herb that I used has been studied. Every herb that I use has has research articles on it. We're taught evidence-based medicine. So I think this, this stigma kind of comes with a name. And the other part is when you don't know about something, your instinct is to be afraid of it, especially for other physicians that I work with, right? So if I have a patient that has cancer and I want to use a modality that's been well-studied, but they know nothing about it, and maybe they don't have the time to learn about it, they're going to tell me no. And they're afraid to be sued. And they're afraid to be sued. You're absolutely right. Where I'm confident. I'm like, this is going to work. This is going to help our patient. They're not going to have any side effects from this. And, and we're going to be able to move for, forward. And we're going to have results. So I've had to draw the line where I a lot of the physicians, like I, a lot of patients that I work with, they're prescribing physicians if they need pharmaceutical medication, I'll make a line in the sand, right? I'm willing to meet you in the middle somewhere. I'm willing to meet you in the middle where you're comfortable. But then if you're just going to blow everything off, and if you're going to try and tell me that something's not evidence-based that I know has been around over a decade and we're still making really good research on it, then I'm like, you haven't looked. You haven't looked recently and I'm, I'm not going to really respect your opinion. And then because you haven't looked, you're not thinking about the best interests of this patient. You just don't have the time or the curiosity to have another option for this person. And I don't have the time to educate you. Right. It's not my job to educate you. 
Oh, I have sent research articles to MD. The, the amount of time gel a week that I spend talking to other doctors and sending research articles is probably a little ridiculous, but it's because synergistic care does work best. Now, I wouldn't have to do that as often. This is an important tangent. We're naturopathic doctors in the state of Indiana and most of the Midwest are not licensed, right? I carry my medical license in another state because there is zero regulation of naturopathic medicine in Indiana. And again, it's just a slow thing. And that's the reason I spend so much time on my patients who do still need medication. They go have some, right? Medication is not evil, but it needs to be appropriately utilized. Or I'm calling physicians saying like, hey, this patient does not need to be on this anymore. Good for I'm you. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Good for you. So, so to educate everyone, as far as worldwide, just an idea of naturopathic medicine, is it accepted? Is it popular? Is it the norm? And then look at the United States. And then within the United States, approximately how many states would you say? Mm, are licensed yeah. and regulated. Mm -hmm. So you're going to love and hate this, Joe. And our listeners in India are going to get this. So in India in particular, homeopathy is widely used, right? They have whole homeopathic hospitals. It's incredible. And if you go if you go to other countries, you will not find naturopathic doctors. You will not find integrative doctors. You'll not find homeopathic doctors because, because I get it. Yes, their doctors, they're, all their doctors are trained in both sides, just like naturopathic doctors in the US. Oh. So that is their standard of care. Okay, so I'm getting a body reaction right now. I mean, our bodies do talk to us, and what she just said. My eyes started to tear up and I got a feeling in my chest. And, you know, we're learning in this podcast how to tune into our bodies more. And that was a tell. That was my body, you know, something wiser than me through my body saying, listen to what she just said. Those of you in the United States who are looking at, quote, alternative medicine, holistic, crunchy people, right? And thinking it's weird. The rest of the world, it's just the norm. They don't even have to call it alternative or holistic or naturopathic because it's just how they think. They're blending. Oh, it's just it's frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating, I'm sure, for you. Thank you so much for saying that. So people listening, I know I'm going to get messages saying, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. There's no difference. And I, it's so funny because we've had one of the naturopathic doctors I learned from, like he talked about traveling to Greece and like looking for homeopathic doctors and, and integrative doctors to talk to in Greece. And he couldn't, nobody understood what he was saying. They were like, what are you talking about? And then finally, like it hit him one day when he went into a regular pharmacy and they had racks of herbs and homeopathy in the pharmacy. And he was like, they're all trained in it right? They're all trained in both sides. Just all everybody everywhere else is a naturopathic doctor. <laughs> yeah. And okay. So now let's just say it. So what's the difference, Dr. Harmon? Who's in control in the United States determining that that's not normal here? I mean, this is where I, 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 I get a little bit of an attitude and not with our listeners, but outside of this podcast, like on LinkedIn or other places, I've got a couple of randos out there that I've had to block because when I just try to introduce this type of conversation just through Facebook or whatever, not to preach, but just say, hey, you might want to look here. I mean, it was just, you're bad and wrong. You're dumb. I trust my doctor. You're a conspiracy theorist. Get your tinfoil hat. And I hope to goodness one of them listens to this episode. They might hopefully scratch their head and say, oh, maybe there is another way to think. So what's happening in the United States? Why is it the way it is? Unfortunately, you know, we follow the money. And like I said before, not all drugs are bad, but they are overutilized. And we, we live in a population that is terribly overprescribed and overmedicated, I guess I should say. And despite that happening and despite those statistics, right? I mean, the third leading cause of death in America is medical error, right? Hello. Yes. So those are all things that should be wake up calls, but it's a big thing to tackle. If you follow the money and you follow, there's billions of dollars being used to market pharmaceutical drugs, right? Shouldn't that be a flag? Shouldn't that be a red flag? And why are patients allowed to be advertised on TV about medications and coming in and telling their doctor what they think they need has nothing to do with them? And it's not even allowed in other countries. Right. Not, not even allowed, allowed in other countries. In other countries. Yeah. I mean, there are many countries, I think Germany and several others that, speaking of nutrition, you know, they're not allowed to market junk food to children. It's against mm -hmm. the law. Here, it's just normal. I mean, our children, they go to the pediatrician. This is what used to drive me nuts. 
So to give everyone a little background, I was the most traditional American when it came to what I thought about medicine, health, wellness, and nutrition. I used to say, well, I'm not living on hot dogs and Cheetos, but I'm doing better than most people. But I wasn't too far off of that, right? And so, you know, you take your child to the pediatrician as soon as they're born, like just right out of the gate. Well, we could even go into the whole pregnancy and delivery and all that. But anyway, let's wipe wipe all that vernix off. Let's put a hat on them and let's separate them from the mom immediately. Great idea. I was like, sure, doctor, you know everything. Now I'm like, what did I do to my kids? But anyway, you take them to the pediatrician. And the two things in the United States, everyone in India, get ready to gasp, right? Everyone in the rest of the world, prepare yourselves. This is normal for us. You go to the pediatrician and the two questions they ask you, how much milk are they drinking? And how many hours are they sleeping? Well, sleeping's fine. But once they're six, it's like, really? You don't want to ask something other than that? That's all they ask you. They never mention nutrition. They don't talk about Now, nowadays, it might be different. My kids are older, but they don't talk about nutrition. And if they do, it's the food pyramid. And (laughs) this is where I just, I just, I have to stop myself because I could go off on a tangent. But anything outside of that paradigm, I'm doing a whole episode soon on challenging paradigms. Anything outside of that paradigm is scary. It's bad. It's wrong. And it gets judged. And then the mom is told that she is those things. But going back to what I was trying to say before my brain took a left turn, when we talk about why it is the way it is, my opinion is because our children are programmed from birth. We program them by taking them pediatrician. That's all they know. And the doctor who has the white coat knows everything. So then they're in their 20s, right? And mom finally wakes up and the kid's like, wait, oh, wait, what? Everything that I've learned since I was born may not be true. And so in our country, I think we're indoctrinating moms and children you know, from day one. So can I add to that, Jill? Yes. Yeah. So why do you think we give doctors a God complex? Why do we let them think they know everything? Why and why do we give them that power? And I really think it happens for two reasons. And maybe the biggest reason is because you want to have hope, right? You want somebody else to be in control and have the answers because it's easier. And you want to put your hope in something and you're going to believe the words that are falling out of our mouth because you don't have the answers, right? So I think that's one of them. But also the second thing is exactly what you said. We've been taught to do so. Don't question your doctor. And gosh, the patients that have questioned their doctors, the horror stories that come out of there, I mean, that shouldn't be allowed. You should not be afraid to ask your doctor questions like that should not be allowed. And we are. We are educated, intelligent people are afraid to question the doctor. It's programmed even in me. Mm-hmm. I don't mean even in me as an, from arrogance. I mean, after knowing what I know, I still hesitate and I get intimidated because it is so programmed into us. Like our body knows to pull back. Don't bother them. Don't take up their time. Don't ask questions and do not challenge their paradigm. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when, I don't want to go on a fun tangent about vaccines, although I'd really like to. I remember they were about ready to, because I really believe whether you say Holy Spirit Whatever word people want to use, there's this divine wisdom in us. And I know Dr. Harmon agrees. I remember when they were about to give my daughter, Mary Caroline, her patient who now has lupus, at five years old, five shots at one time. Now, I was the most traditional follower, kiss the feet of doctor, nurse you've ever met. And something in me, hmm, I wonder what it was, said, uh, is that a good idea? And I said out loud to the nurse, hey, oh, well, well, hold on, just I just have a question. Why are we doing five at one time? Because we always do. That's what we do. It's five-year appointment, five-year shots. Uh Oh, Um, okay. Just hold on. Before you do it, is there any harm in doing like all five at the same time? Like, could we space them out a little? And I knew nothing, Dr. Harmon. This was not challenging anything. It was the Holy Spirit. This was God. This was wisdom coming to me saying, this was my inner knowing, right? And when she turned around and looked at me a second time, like, I'm just going to swear. Her her energy was like, bitch, please. I have shit to do. I have patience to see. Get off my ass. Okay. And I just said, okay. Now, I don't even want my daughter to hear this because I'm going to cry. I questioned my divine guidance because I was afraid to be myself and to stand up for what didn't feel right to me. And I didn't follow my intuition. And I remember 
I would say, I don't remember when, but her health started changing and we started noticing things. And I truly believe some of that had to do with all of the vaccines. And, and we don't need to talk about vaccines right now. But yes, you're right. We, we don't question them. We're afraid. But isn't it interesting? We're not afraid to question you. Right. No. And challenge well, and you. The number of patients that won't tell, they're afraid to tell their doctor they're seeing me. They won't list their supplements that they take on, on an intake form. They don't want their doctors to flag them in, in a chart, right? And I mean, you probably do get flagged. And I do. I had a patient the other day who said, she said, I just had to go see my primary care to get some imaging done. And she said, he saw the image that you ordered, you know, a couple months ago when I was having all that pain. And he goes, who ordered this? And she told him that, you know, she was seeing me and that I was a naturopathic doctor. And he took a minute, wrote my name down, wrote my information down and was like very cold the rest of the appointment and like ended quickly. And I was like, whatever, he can write my name down. Like, (laughs) you know, she's like, I don't know why he was so upset. And I said, sometimes they just get upset that you're seeing somebody else. I said, other times, honestly, because of, of they think that naturopathic doctors are quacks they're trying to protect their patient. They're going to see what kind of person I am and um, make sure that there's not harm done to their patient. And, you know, I'm always going to have the empathetic side there, Joe. <laughs> of, of there, you know, I do believe that most of the time we usually have the goal of trying to do the best thing for these people. And the problem is, is that, you know, on the other side of things in conventional medicine, we're not really willing to listen. We're naturopathic doctors. It's like all we're taught to do is observe and listen and put the pieces together and act. Yeah. And speaking of empathy, I do want to say, and I used to say this when I would lecture, that traditional medical doctors in the U.S. are so stressed. They're afraid of being sued every 10 seconds. They're overworked. They are exhausted. They're getting so much information every every day. There's some new drug and some new this. And, some, and then you've got people going out and doing their own research. I empathize with them as well. I would not want to be a medical doctor in the United States today. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no yeah. way. So yeah, I get that. Okay. So as we're turning the corner here towards the end of the episode, I would love for you to share with everyone your pillars that you shared with me as a new patient and what you share with every patient. And then I want everyone, I encourage everyone to hang on for the next episode because in the next episode, Dr. Harm is going to share the modalities that you're not going to get from traditional doctor, including acupuncture. I know a lot of people are afraid of acupuncture, hydrotherapy, homeopathy. I'm obsessed with homeopathy now. I told her, I said, if I were younger, I'd go back to school. I am obsessed with that more about nutrition, but then we're also going to go into the issues that so many of us as women are facing, which is all our reproductive issues, but also the topic of birth control with our teenage girls and young daughters and ourselves, hormones and perimenopause and menopause. And it's going to be really good. So what are the pillars? So every new patient that comes in, we go through these pillars of health. A lot of times they're already talking to me about them and I just go into them more in depth. So the first thing would be um, what you eat. I'm not going to share how I asked this question. Jill, you know how I asked this question because I'm really tricky about it so that you can be a lot of patients who are like, well, what I usually eat, that's not what I want to know. I want to know what you eat because what you think you usually eat is a healthier version of whatever you're actually eating. Go go ahead and tell them. It's like saying, (laughs) if you want to know what you believe, look at how you live your life. If you want to know what you value, look at your calendar and your checkbook. Dr. Harmon knows what you eat because she asks you. Yes. What you I have go, for breakfast? What did you have for breakfast yesterday? So I want to know what you ate for breakfast, lunch, dinner yesterday. Well, I don't normally eat like this, but I had a pop tart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Normally I have a kale That's, smoothie every day, but <sighs> those are the answers. I, or, or they go, ooh, yesterday was a bad day. <laughs> and if it hadn't happened every single week, like to, you know, hundreds of different patients, like I know that most of the time <laughs> you're eating that way, or at least, you know, a higher percentage than where I would like you to be for your health. No, they're all going to cheat. They're going to go to their new naturopath and they're already <laughs> going to know this is going to be asked. What did you have for breakfast yesterday? And they're not going to lie. They're going to eat that the day before they go. So they can That's say, right. I actually had a kale smoothie. I had a gluten-free whatever and had some nuts on the side and some filtered water. 
Next question. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So that's how I asked that. And then the next question would be, how much water do you think you drink a day? Is what I usually ask. And it ranges from anywhere I do pretty good. Water's really trendy right now. Hydration's really trendy. A lot of people are are carrying around gallons of water. <laughs> um, In a big so that, plastic you know, bucket. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's great. And an old milk jug. So we do hydration and then I'll talk to you. What other things do you drink besides water? You know, coffee, alcohol, tea, pop, whatever that may be. I just do straight bourbon. Oh, just whiskey uh, every day. (laughs) Why why didn't we make this meeting later? You know, I love bourbon. Okay, sorry. I am really, really interrupting badly. I'm I'm getting slap happy because this is like the most exciting interview. I love it. Okay, so the the five pillars of health, the first one was nutrition. Yeah water, we call hydration, right? Third one that I usually go into is movement. How are you moving your body every day? Or are you? Is exercise some type of exercise a priority? And I ask you about it. And then if you say, you know, I haven't been doing anything lately, I'll go, what do you like to do? Because you know what, Jill? Do you know what the best type of exercise is? The one you like to do? That's right. (laughs) Whatever you will do. That's the best type of exercise. (laughs) Move your body, right? Was it Roosevelt? Yeah. The way I see it, you can either wear out or rest out. I'm aiming to wear out. Right. <laughs> so good. So I go into move. I ask them about their movement. Then I usually ask them about their stress. I go, what's the biggest contributor to your stress? Or what do you think the biggest contributor to your stress is right now? What's what? How high is your stress? And then the last one is, do you have any? Actually, there's six because there's one after this. What are your stress management skills? What are you doing when you have a stressful day to come down, to intentionally come down from that heavy day? Do you have any skills for stress management that you're doing intentionally? That's not just like binging TV and trying to numb, right? That's not really balancing anything out there. That's just numbing. And then the last one is sleep. I talk about, do you have any trouble falling asleep, staying asleep? Do you feel rested when you wake up in the morning? So to review again, that would be nutrition, hydration, movement, stress, stress management, and sleep. Mm. And then I know, um, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, that within nutrition, then you're a fan of supplementation. And I, it's interesting because so many traditional doctors are not for supplementation. Just get it in your diet. Okay, but we aren't and we can't. Even if you're eating really, really well, the way things are in the United States, the food is not as nutrient dense as it used to be. You can't get it all from your diet. And so could you just do a quick plug for the reason it's important for people to do proper supplementation? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just like what you were saying, Jill, our food is not as nutrient dense as it used to be. We actually cannot get all of our nutrients just through our diet anymore. We used to be able to. And if you do a lot of like homegrown stuff that that's absolutely more nutrient dense, our food is not what it used to be. And we unfortunately at this point do need supplementation because of those gaps, right? And then the other part is, especially again, this is a big American thing, is that the way that we live our lives, we live our lives here in America on E, like pushing, 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 I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? And that burns up your nutrients, your minerals that you're using, it burns them up quickly. And then you're not doing anything for rejuvenation. So not only are we not getting in enough through our diet, but at least here in America, we're expending more nutrients due to living in a stressful environment. Anxiety and stress burns up all of our B vitamins and then they're just empty. Okay. And so when you burn up those stores and you burn up those vitamins, then what happens? (laughs) You eventually crash, (laughs) right? Yeah, we've all been there. You eventually crash. And I honestly tell people this when they're like, man, I don't know why I'm so sick. Like I can't get out of bed. And, you know, we talk about what their last weeks, months, years have looked like. I said, this is your body telling you to to sit your ass down. You need to sit down and do nothing and take a break and rest and sleep and stop. And it's because, and and Jill, I know that you've talked a lot about this, but it's because we have poor self-care routines and we don't make it a priority. And those things, those pillars of health that I just talked about, 
are the foundational things of your health. You wouldn't build a house in a cracked foundation. Those pillars are what I think about as the foundation of your health. So before supplementation, I'm looking at those pillars and then I'm looking to fill in the gaps and to make that foundation stronger so that we can actually have something to build your health on. Because you also can't out-supplement poor diet and lifestyle. No. No. So it's not it's not just all about supplementation. It is important to supplement, but you also don't, you know, the number of patients that come in with a bag full of 12 different things that they're on and I whittle it down to about 3. And where naturopathic doctors get a bad rep is those patients, right? And bless, like they're just trying. They're just trying to feel better. So they're going to read something on a Facebook ad and buy it. <laughs> And, and bring it into me and ask me questions about it. And there's nothing bad in here, but I always ask, do you feel different? Do you, <laughs> do you feel better taking this or do you feel the same? And the number of times they're like, I, I just feel the same. And yeah, I don't feel any different. I don't feel any better. And so we will peel back to, again, education, peel back the things that are necessary for their personal health, whittle it down to a few things because you can't out supplement poor diet and lifestyle. And Jill, you know this about me. I rarely recommend or prescribe any type of supplementation on the first visit because that's how much I want you to focus on those pillars of health. Mm -hmm. I want you to take the next four to six weeks and get it down, learn how to do it and come back and we can talk about it and I'll fill in the gaps where where they are with supplementation because I don't want you to suffer, but that's how important how essential I would say those pillars of health are. Mm-hmm. Right? I'll say it again. Our cells are composed of everything we eat, breathe, drink, and think. They have no other choice. You control a lot of those pieces. Mm. All right. Well, this has just been so enlightening, so exciting, so educational. Thank you so much for your time. And I am so excited to dig into acupuncture, my experience with acupuncture with you, hydrotherapy. I had never heard of that before. Red light therapy, homeopathy, and really talk about the issues that a lot of women are struggling uh, with and from with regard to hormone imbalance. So thank you again, Dr. Harmon, and we will see you in the next episode. Pleasure is mine. Can't wait. Mm -hmm. 